Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. He's Ari Wasserman. We both work for The Athletic. Ari, hopefully I said that right, but let's not. No more small talk. National Signing Day, the February National Signing Day. We don't need to go over the fact that it's not the big signing day, but I thought still still some interesting developments, some, some movements, some major programs, first-year coaches. I know you went to see a kid sign. We'll get into that, but just kind of your overall impressions of the day real quick, and then we'll, then we'll go through some of the some of the uh, high profile guys who signed. So like the thing about the early signing period was that it has completely removed the intrigue or supposedly it removed the intrigue from this day. And I think that's not true. There, there's a lot of intrigue. And here's the reason why. The, the tough part about the early signing period is that some players are in a rush to take up their spot or to, to you know, solidify their spot in a class. And some people view not signing early as a risk. So because of that, whether that's right or wrong, the players that hold out the longest are typically the ones that don't have to worry about that risk. The five-star athletes that are going to have a spot in anybody's class because five-star prospects there's always room for. So what has happened is that the truly elite players, and not everybody who announced on Wednesday is an elite player, but the truly elite players tend to be the ones that kind of wait the longest and you know there's a few guys that came onto the scene late one of which i saw andrew paul in dallas committed to georgia you know circumstances are different for everybody but three of the top 10 players in the country came into the day uncommitted or you know without an announcement and, and Devin me, campbell was really the only one where we knew i mean it's like 98 exactly where he was, was going to go yeah so since you're the wonderful host and you know, fighting through this with what's probably COVID. It is. Um, I, got the, it is. I got the official diagnosis today. You did? Yes. Oh, sorry, bud. Well, I'm actually glad uh, it was like, because then I know what it is. I'll feel like crap for a day or two and I'll feel better. Like if it was just like a virus or something, I would be like, okay, when am I going to get better? So, but uh, yeah, playing hurt a um, little but, bit. It's not a good day when you're the uh, recruiting editor at the athletic to get sick on national signing day, but you know, wrote a heck of a column that you weren't around to edit for some reason, but you know, we'll talk I, about yeah, that some other yeah, day. I was, um, I was sleeping. So why don't you run people down if they were living under the rock? I'm assuming that people who are listening to the show, I uh, know where people went, but why don't you run it down for them? Yeah, Devin Campbell, as we mentioned, uh, five-star offensive uh, lineman to Texas, giving Texas two five-star offensive linemen in the class. I think that's kind of one of the more unheralded or under-the-radar elements of this class it, for any school, that Texas signed two five-star offensive linemen. That does not happen very often. It's a position in which Texas has not produced NFL draft picks. I think their last first-round NFL pick was – the offensive line might have been Mike Williams in 2002. So they get two five stars. That's huge. One of the big ones was Harold Perkins, uh, top 10 five star linebacker um, from the Houston area. He went to high school in the Houston area, but originally from New Orleans to LSU. That was really the big news for LSU of the day. Um, Can I interject something here before you move on? I think Harold Perkins is an interesting story. And I don't know, maybe we'll talk to Brody Miller about this or LSU beat writer, but. A friend of mine texted me about this today, and it's a really good story. There were a lot of people from the New Orleans area who obviously were displaced as a result of, of uh, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. And Harold Perkins's family is one of them, and I wasn't aware of that. And I think we're getting to the point now where players like Harold Perkins, who you might view um, – choosing LSU as an out-of-state prospect, but he has ties to Louisiana. And he might be one of the last high school football prospects whose family had to be displaced by it. Yeah. And I think that the interesting disbursement of talent that LSU has gotten, I think they went into Tennessee, you're familiar with, you know, people left uh, yes. Louis, uh, New Orleans up to, into into Tennessee and there's places in, in East Texas and you know, I'm not an expert on where everybody decided to go to when that tragedy happened, but like that has been a very interesting geographical shift. And Harold Perkins, it's important to point out that even though he was once committed to Texas A&M and is in the Houston area, that is a New Orleans prospect who chose to stay. Yeah, home. quite honestly, as you said, that's something that I didn't realize until recently, until the last maybe week or so. Where I was just and like the the story of like last Hurricane Katrina. Um, I don't know what the word would be. Uh, Not refuge. Family yeah. that was dis- refugee. Yeah. I don't know if that, I mean, they're in the same country, but yeah. 
that last family displaced by Hurricane Katrina sending elite level football prospect back home to play for LSU, I think is a very interesting dynamic, especially because Harold was probably was, was really not probably was really, really young when that happened. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's like always interesting to kind of track some of LSU's commitments and try to trace that back. And Harold Perkins is one of those. Yeah. So uh, Jacoby Matthews was another one, basically a four star, but one of the top four stars in the country, a top 50 national player the safety. He was one of the ones we did not know. I think a lot of talk. It was going to be LSU down in the wire, some Florida talk there. He signs with A&M. Andrew Paul, the running back, just an amazing story. Kid who had no offers. We've talked about him. You've written about him. Uh, no high major offers really or high. This isn't college basketball. No, no high power five offers until recently ends up going to Georgia. Georgia also gets Christian Miller. That was no surprise. there. a fringe top 100 guy. Trevante citizen, a running back from Louisiana going to Miami. He was Auburn, Florida, LSU. That was a huge get for uh, the Miami program today. That one surprised me. Oregon with a couple guys, Jaleel Florence uh, from San Diego. They got him on Monday. He had been a commitment to the previous staff. Now he's back. Dave Iuli, I guess is how you pronounce him, an offensive lineman. They beat Miami four. And uh, Jordan James also to Oregon, who was in that Georgia class. Uh, he's here from Middle Tennessee. He signed with Oregon. So so there's the, those are some of the big ones. Another one, Danny Lewis, who's who's a three star, but he's a tight end from Louisiana who Alabama got. So let's dive right into LSU. And, Wait, did you did you say Shamar Stewart to A and M? I might have skipped over him. Shamar Stewart. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've five, skipped five, over five. Star you just skipped over yeah. a five star defensive line. Yeah, and from Florida, we have to like from South Florida. We just kind of we kind of went down the list there and you know gave the you know thirty thousand foot look down at what happened. But I think it's a nice segue into talking about interesting things specifically, and we'll circle back on these names. And I think a good place to start probably Mitch is A&M because they lost Harold Perkins. People were making jokes a few weeks ago when he decommitted that it's already falling apart. Their class is falling apart. They lost Perkins, who signed with LSU, as we just mentioned, but they picked up Shamar Stewart, a five-star defensive lineman, and Jacoby Matthews. Basically a five-star. Um, who's basically four spots out of being a five-star prospect, one of the best defensive backs in the country. And, you know, it'll we can segue into LSU because he's a Louisiana native as well. But holy shit, uh, Texas A&M's class got even better after losing Perkins. Like, it's insane to me. And I think it's like we should take a moment to, like, officially congratulate A&M on winning the recruiting round. And the, correct me if I'm wrong, the number one the, is the best class. I think it's the best class of all time. Yeah, in the modern recruiting era. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, incredible. We saw it coming. Um, you kind of. In what mid fall when they were hovering two, three, four, you kind of wrote about it with all the guys that were on the board that, that they had a very good chance of closing strong, which they did. Um, really, Harold Perkins losing Harold Perkins was that the only kind of adversity this class faced? I don't remember any other, you know, decommitments. They had some other guys, uh, Walter Nolan, you know, teams were after him. Tennessee was going making official visits to Tennessee right up to the last second, but he signed with AM. It's just a, a pretty stress free class. For, for Jimbo and that transitions into the kind of the war of the words I'd say it started yesterday with Lane Kiffin when he was introducing his yeah. transfer class basically talked about the free agency in the schools with all the money the NIL money and does Texas he called out Texas a and I mean he singled them out are they going to come up against their salary cap Jimbo gets on the podium today to talk about his class. I think the, the direct quote was clown acts at different, you know, referring to other coaches in the league. Obviously, a shot at Lane Kiffin there claiming that basically NIL did, did not have much or anything to do with the class. I don't think any of us believe that. Um, I think it's somewhere in the middle. It's not the huge numbers we've seen thrown out, uh, but it's not nothing. Um, I think this is why we love the sport. And, uh, you know, then we have Nick Saban coming today talking about how you, he never wants that to be an inducement for a kid to go to college. He's all in favor of once you're there, once you prove yourself, that's great. You deserve it, but it shouldn't be used for recruiting, which is basically the, the NIL rules are just impossible to enforce. So uh, what do you make of all the drama? Well, first of all, I just want to say that Texas A&M signed 29 prospects this year, seven of which were five-star prospects and I think 15 or 16 were top 100 players, which was an insane haul. Um, but we all know that I had a meltdown on this podcast. Was it three weeks ago when I offended some of our reader or uh, listeners and readers by saying effing losers? But like Jimbo yeah. Fisher was basically kind of just like, I don't know 
what what you took away from him. If you haven't um, listened to the comments, he basically was just saying like the $30 million slush fund that everyone's accusing us of having doesn't exist. If you're complaining about this, it's an insult to the class. Um, or if you're saying that Texas A&M paid for their players and NIL was the main reason why they're coming, that you're insulting the coaching staff and the, and the players that wanted to come to A&M and who worked hard to put the class together said that A&M's, um, you know, education and the network that certainly exists amongst alumni there is, is a major selling point. Stadium's loud. He just went on and on and on about like why NIL well, there, there's a lot the to sell at Texas A&M. There's yes. no doubt. And like my, my fiance went to A&M. I'm very familiar front row seat to like what that A&M alumni network means. Like that's real. Um, but he basically was dismissing the idea that NIL played a major factor in this. And I think the number one question here, Mitch, is do you believe him? No, I, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, I think it's naive to think yeah. that NIL did not play a role in this. Um, but I don't think it's easy for him to go up and, and, and dismiss the big 30, whatever that number was. Because we we probably all know that's not true, but he didn't say, "Oh yeah, it wasn't thirty million; it was six million or whatever it is." What, I'm just making that up. Yeah, but, but here's the, fact the other is, thing we don't, too. We just we're never going to know unless you know when it was a big deal on depth charts and on media guides and on websites when they started listing players' Twitter handles. I don't know if you remember that. Like some schools yeah. started doing, it, like, "Wow, they're so forward." Start putting them on the back of their jerseys yeah. in the spring. Well, yeah, games. they're so yeah. forward thinking. Until they start listing recruits nil deals, we're never going to know. And it's it's going to be message board rumors. Yeah, and I also don't think that we're entitled to those things. I mean, I don't know. They're not public university employees. So I, I don't know why we would be entitled to know exactly how much they made. Uh, we'll never know how much Quinn Ewers made from kombucha tea when he went to Ohio State. Uh, I venture to say that it wasn't a million dollars. But here's the, the major takeaway. And I said, well, do you believe him? And I guess it doesn't really matter what we believe. Um, here's what matters the most. It doesn't freaking matter. I don't even know why he felt the need to have to defend himself. If it's within the realm of the rules or in that gray area that allows this to happen, and AM paid more money than everybody else to get this recruiting class, then kudos to them. Kudos to the kids that got the most money, and kudos to Texas AM for figuring out a way to sign one of the best classes, if not the best class in the history of modern day recruiting while using this as an advantage while it's within the realm of the rules. It's like if every single person in Texas A&M's class went to A&M only because they were getting paid the most, who gives a shit? That was their reason. So like I, like in the new world of, of college football, it might be weird to think about that because we're so used to, you know, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Criminalizing or, um, you know, making an example of people who cheat financially. But like now, if some guy with oil money in Texas wants to, to shower a kid with a million bucks to go there, that's his prerogative. And anybody on Twitter who wants to complain about it, I don't know what you're complaining about. What's it's within the realm of rules. So, you know, I love the fact that, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher was wearing a $70,000 Rolex, uh, while he was saying these things, gold Rolex presidential. And I love that he's from West Virginia and wears, uh, cowboy boots now and has a ranch in texas like i are you a watch I guy by the way like i'm a big watch oh, wearing guy. an expensive watch to me makes i have no interest in it. like if you gave me it's jewelry oh i, I wear no jewelry ever if you gave me a five thousand dollar watch i would give it back to you or i would try it like I, I would not wear it i don't wear a watch right here you think it's stupid because a watch is is too much money and it's it's too much money for something that's insignificant or you just don't like jewelry just don't like jewelry it doesn't interest me yeah. Okay. I mean, I think watches are beautiful. Okay. Um, That's what makes the world go round, Ari. You know, you like watches. Yeah. I don't. And like, I'm not a jewelry person. I, I wear a chain. I have a necklace that I've worn. Um, but that's it. And soon to have a wedding band, which is going to be weird. We're going to try those on here pretty soon. And I think I just want like a, a nice gold one like yours. That's not very big. I see a lot of these titanium yeah. like rubber ones and all. It's like I just want a gold. Very subtle. Very subtle. Subtle band. And I'm going to get a watch. Okay. Uh, Let's. um. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on. You know what? The NIL stuff is, is, is interesting. It's fun. It's in, 
to debate about. But what we've learned is maybe this is different because it's a recruiting podcast, but a lot of college football fans really don't care. Like when we write NIL stories, they don't get they're not read as no, I don't think people care about the individual deals. I think people care when a team is accused yeah. of being of cheating. Yeah. One other thing. So like, I think there's a distinction. Yeah, that, that's right. One other thing too, the Jimbo, I think Jimbo said this. I was, I didn't listen. I was sort of on Twitter today. I was, I was in bed recovering, you know, even, I don't know if he called out Nick Saban by name, but Nick Saban can't downplay this. And then also talk about how his quarterback had what, you know, a, a seven figure he deal. Did. He, he I mean, Jimbo Fisher said Nick Saban's okay. name yeah. by name. So he had, said, why is it OK for Alabama to announce that Bryce Young, Bryce Young made a million dollars in NIL deals? And then when we sign a top class, everybody's making fun of us like it's it's a double standard. Yeah, it's like when Nick Saban does it, it's great. And when A&M does it, it's a it's a crime. Personally, Mitch, I want every single person in in, in college football to go get as much money as they possibly can. And if, if people are paying a half a million dollars or a million dollars, and I heard a rumor the other day that you were you were on the text thread with that a, a player was going to flip for a quarter of a million bucks, a three star three star athlete. Like, okay, if you want to pay a three-star athlete a quarter of a million dollars to flip to your school, then go do to that. To quote Ari Wasserman, like, what like, are we even doing here? It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I can think of a better use of $250,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one covered in diamonds and gold, for sure. Um, and actually, if you think about it, Rolexes are appreciating val- uh, appreciating assets. So, you know, you can also view it as an investment. Okay. Um, for that $250,000 is getting thrown in the trash. How strictly should we grade or how harsh should we uh, be on Brian Kelly? LSU loses. I'm having, I'm struggling. Let let me go over the the numbers for some people. Okay. LSU loses Jacoby Matthews and Trevante citizen in, you know, in state safety and state running back. They sign only three of the top, top 10 players in the state. Last year, they got the top four in six of the top 10. Um, they're number 12 right now. They're outside the top 10. Typically we don't, we kind of give first year coaches. We call them a transition classes. We almost don't even pay attention to them, but there's so many major programs that had new coaches. I don't think we can look at them this way. Um, maybe we should, but so, uh, do we, we, I, I think we have to wait a year, right? We have to wait a year. Let this staff get its feet on the ground and see how they do in state. Definitely some misses. I, th- I think that like when we're talking about any normal coach, you can't get mad at him or penalize him for not closing on prospects in a three and a half week period. And Brian Kelly certainly has become a punching bag. We haven't discussed how ridiculous he looked trying to be cool in that video. I loved your line in your story. It said, go ahead and laugh at him. No, really do laugh at him because it was ridiculous. Like, seriously, laugh at him. It's hilarious. And the, the fake accent thing, I mean, I don't know what the man's doing down there. What I will say is that, A, getting Harold Perkins is more significant than anything that they lost today or on Wednesday. The thing that makes it difficult for me to not go, f- to not just be completely dismissive of He's only been there for a few weeks or a month. Give him, give him next year. Is that those prospects are usually completely automatic to LSU, and you know, in a year from now, if LSU signs six of the top ten players in the state of Louisiana, we won't remember this. But right. I do think it is mildly concerning that at one point during Coach O's tenure, when it seemed like. Um, you know, he was going to get fired before he was fired, that they were the crystal ball favorites for like nine or 10 out of the top 10 players in their own state. What do they end up with? Three, you said? Yes, yeah, signed three of the top 10 in the state. Yes. That is abnormally low for LSU. So, And this is a state, as they, we say all the time, some states that doesn't matter. The top 10. This is a state where top really 10 players are usually all four stars in that range. So like my, my takeaway and trying to be tempered and not to be a hot take machine is... Brian Kelly just landed a top 10 national player on national signing day with only a few months at the helm. It stinks that they lost a few guys out of Louisiana. It's going to sting, especially because those guys from Louisiana went to other places, or at least one did, went to another place that has a first-year head coach also in Mario Cristobal. Um but I won't hit the alarm button on this being very concerning unless it happens again next year. And and Brian Kelly supposedly made a very Louisiana heavy staff um, assembled a staff that has influence in its state. I'm going to be reasonable and say that it's not 
it's too early to drag him through the mud on this one. But it does hurt. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I think that that's a fair that's a fair take. So I'm gonna look. Sorry, you're not. Next year, the 2023 class in the state of Louisiana, they got, they got a young man named Arch Manning. There's two five stars, Arch Manning and uh, Shelton Sampson, a, a wide receiver who already is 100% crystal ball to LSU. There are, it looks like another really good year in the state. There are six top 100 players. The 10th player is the number 169 player. So a very, very yeah, deep You want to get eight or seven out of those guys, yeah, right? Wow, I'm going deep. There are 17 four stars in the state. So, like you said, if they take care of business next year and get of those 17, I say 17 four stars, if they get 10 or 11, we're not, we don't care. I mean, no one's going to look back at this. I mean, this is this is the legitimate reason why he went. There. Why Brian Kelly went there. There's I not mean, 17 four stars in you, Indiana. You know, you know it would be an interesting stat. You can look up in your nerdy time tomorrow when you're still recovering. Yeah. How many time? How many years it would take for the state of Louisiana or of of Indiana? to produce 17 four-star prospects. I bet you it was eight years. Yeah. There's probably, what, two or three a year, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. It might even be longer. It might be a decade uh, total players uh, from Indiana that rated that high. So, you know, this is the, you know, on one hand, you go to Louisiana with the hopes of saying, hey, you know what, we're going to get eight to 12 uh, built-in commitments every single year that we're going to get into Louisiana, uh, into our building. It's going to give us more time to spend in Florida and Texas and other surrounding areas. We're going to sign top five classes and I'm going to put together a roster that can actually compete with Alabama. That's fun to say in theory, going out and actually winning the battles is, is another thing. So, you know, going head to head with Nick Saban every day and going head to head with Jimbo Fisher and, and his bag and all the things that, you know, occur in the sec is just not going to be an inch. It's not going to be an easy thing. And as we mentioned on the last week's show, Mitch, you know, you got first year coaches in California, you got first year coaches in in Northern Florida and South Florida, you got a lot of like really on the ball people. And it's just going to be a very, very interesting cycle next year. And I'm very excited to see how it pans out. Yeah. We should do a podcast and talk about it. Yeah. Let's try. Um, Florida is a school that um, we both, especially you been been complimenting in the past since mm-hmm. the early signing period, done a lot of good things building up here. Not a great day today. Um, Trevante citizen was a guy that I was told earlier this morning. They've, it looked like he was heading there. Perkins, Matthews, some guys they were in the mix for didn't get um, into the class right now. They are 19, the class. they. Um, it's funny because we made a big deal. Where, like, when they got Kamari Wilson, he was a five-star, right? He's no longer a five-star, but whatever. He's still a top 50 guy. So only one top 100 guy in that class once the dust settles. So, you know, some, yeah, some good I, uh, work there, but but not not a great cycle. There's two. There's two. There's two? Yeah, oh, yeah okay. Shamar so, James from Alabama. Yeah, also. You I, think you were I, looking I at the enrollees. Right yeah. yeah. Um, and the fact that Kamari Wilson got downgraded from a five-star to a four-star, that's not yeah. what's important to me. Top 50. Um, what's important to me is that they were able to win a head-to-head battle with Georgia for one of the best players in the country. You know what I mean? And and, and the kid goes to IMG, too. So, um I think Billy Napier could have made a grand slam entrance into the world of head coaching at Florida. Had he, you know, gotten a guy or two out of that, uh, uh, list that you just mentioned, but I think that he gets a passing grade, um, for his first few months there, um, for sure. And, you know, now that we're already, it's like automatic, like I'm probably have to write a post in the next few days, um, outlining the, the big board for the 2023 classes. Right, posts. Um, you have to really take into consideration about how important the 2023 class is to so many coaches. How important is the 2023 class to Lane to to Lincoln Riley? How important is it to to Mario Cristobal to Jimbo Fisher to see if he can do it again? You know, there's all these guys. Uh, you know, Billy Napier. The the list goes on and on. Uh, even you know, uh. Brent Venables at Oklahoma. I mean, there's so much namesake brand talent, uh, you know, at these positions. And this year is going to be a free for all. So, you know, I'm actually excited that we were able to turn the page on 2022. And now it's like, there's never been more first year head coaches in positions of prominence the way that they are this year. And it's going to be certainly entertaining to see it all. Yeah. It could be the most intriguing year i mean it gets Cycle, it gets better yeah. every year but the fact that we the superpowers that we talk about alabama ohio state um georgia 
aren't going anywhere. Now USC is in that mix. Obviously Miami is elbowing its way in. We think Florida is on the right track. We think LSU can be there. It's- I mean, we're 25 minutes into this podcast and the number one criticism um, of my coverage from people has always been that I spend too much time talking about Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And like there you haven't even mentioned once because like when you think about all the all the movement with these coaches, you know, they're not that interesting in comparison to some of the new guys. And I think that's a really good thing to do yeah. uh, to talk it's about, good. you know, it's- new new people able to spread around the wealth. And it's just like maybe next year if USC takes care of their, their, their geography, Texas A&M does what they do again. Texas signs another elite level class. And I think Texas, we could probably talk about on this podcast too. Um, Campbell, Um, Florida and in Northern Florida, Miami and South Florida of all these people chip in. My hope is that there isn't a, a a bulk of 80% of the top five, uh, top hundred players going to five schools, you know? And I feel like now more than ever, it seems like there's, there's a light um, at the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. But if if at the end of the year, it's like Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama all signed super classes and A&M as well. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, this is the, I've got really high hopes for the 2023 cycle in terms of parity, in terms of, of schools um, staking their claims as, you know, programs that are building something bigger than they currently are. And, you know, just more general competitive, competitiveness across the board. Okay, let's talk about Miami. Uh, jumped to number 14. Who's their head coach? Uh, Mario Cristobal. How's that? I'm, I'm blaming the COVID on it. How's that? Yeah, it's yeah, COVID, yeah. COVID, COVID, COVID. Yeah. Uh, 91.54 was their average player rating, which is very good. And they were the number 70 class uh, when he took over. Question from Mike from New Jersey, our producer, Big Canes fan. Will this be Mario Cristobal's lowest ranked class at Miami? What say you, Ari Wasserman? I think so. 15 is low. Yeah. Is it 15? Yeah. It was 14 earlier, but whatever. Uh, whatever, yeah. dude. It changed. Yeah. And it's... Just uh, asking. Don't get defensive. There's only 14 players in their class right now. So it's a small yeah. class, too. Um, so that, that 91 ranking, number, I'm going to learn, that is yeah. very good. I don't know if that'll, if 91.54 will be the, low, the, the lowest average player rating. Right. Because it's a pretty good average player rating. It certainly will be the lowest ranking, I think. I think Miami... I mean, look at what he did in, in such a short amount of time. I mean, Cyrus Moss, Moss out of yeah. Las Vegas, Jaleel Skinner. Um, flipped from Alabama, the, tight end. Flipped from Alabama, who's a fringe top 100 player. Kamari Rogers and Trevante Citizen on Wednesday. Citizen from Louisiana, I mean, from LSU, yeah, Auburn. Yeah, I, mean, I, like, was- I think that, like, I think you could probably make the case that Mario Cristobal accomplished the most in recruiting from any of the first year, maybe not as much as, as Lincoln Riley, because you have to take into account the transfers, too. And Lincoln Riley's 2023 class is already absurd because he just transferred the Oklahoma class. Also, by the way, De- not De- to segue, DeAndre Moore yeah, decommitted. DeAndre Moore decommitted, who was the third uh, five-star prospect. I think he's at four now. But they've got three top 50 players at Los Alamitos High School in California. Two, all of them were committed to Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was the head coach at Oklahoma. Two have, have flipped, uh, including five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson. And now DeAndre Moore is the third uh, piece of that tripod from Los Alamitos to decommit from from Oklahoma. I think we know where that train's headed. But did you see Lincoln Riley said yeah. <laughs> um, on TV on Wednesday that he thinks there needs to be some reform in the transfer rules starting next year, of course. As if yeah, yeah starting <laughs> next year, like as if he isn't the biggest beneficiary in the entire sport and just transfers. Well, it's like you said uh, with A and M. I mean, he don't literally he's, he's just, just taking advantage of the rules. Do you? Yeah, I'm not mad at him yeah. for it. I think I, I did a radio hit on Wednesday morning on the way over to Andrew Paul's announcement. And somebody asked me if if it just feels like he chose violence. Like, what's your take on that? Like, I just feel like it's just like completely within the realm of the rules. Uh, he didn't cheat. He is hired by USC to bring USC back. Caleb Williams is one of the best players in the country. One of the best young players in the country. Like, is... Lincoln Riley, a national villain now? I don't look at it that way. I mean, I know. Or is it just Oklahoma fans? I think I just mean, Oklahoma just, it fans. It seems kind of messed up, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss is. You don't think Ole it Miss seems has messed great, up? Ole Miss has a great class, too. He's just taking advantage of the rules. Like, I don't. I say this all the time. I don't. I'm for player rights. I'm for players transferring. I think they should be able to transfer. It doesn't mean I like it as a consumer of the sport. I don't like when guys, quarterbacks just switch teams every year. But like, but don't you think that Lincoln Riley is kind of a villain? 
It, I mean, he left a job for more money and went to the cooler place that has Ice Cube in the recruiting graphics. In the one, in the one year that they're not going to sign a league and class, he went and poached all these great players. He literally poached the entire staff and all of their players uh, or their best players on the team and then took their entire 2023 class and, uh, and a five-star prospect. You're making a compelling league. case. That he, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like It's just like... And then to go on TV and act like the the sport is broken is just bullshit. Right. Like, it's just like it's just like be winner with grace almost. You know, it's just like well, how, read the room. Well, I don't. Yeah. Whenever, I need- I'm, whenever I'm fighting with my fiance, she always looks at me when she's always the angriest at me, and she says, "Have some awareness. Have some awareness." I hear that a lot. Do you hear it every it's day? Just like, Come on, like Lincoln, every day right? occurrence. No, but whenever we fight, she always likes to say, "Have some awareness," because I am. At times, generally unaware of my surroundings, yes, I, I can. But like Lincoln that. Riley doing what he did to to Oklahoma, well, I, we, we, and then going on TV and acting like the rules are messed up is like a stupid thing. To one do. of my biggest criticisms of college, big time college coaches, football and basketball, who make all this money, is the fact that they're they're tone deaf so often. They live in a cocoon, We're in their own little world, and they say things that just don't make sense and they don't resonate with normal people and. I think that's that's an example of one. They just like, and then I also do. I wonder too, like, because I liked Jimbo Fisher's tone today. Yeah. I thought it was really awesome just to have a coach just be like, "Here, let's you like it when shit. a coach like, someone is, calls another coach in his league clown act." Yeah, well, it's kind yeah, of it's, uh, it's kind of refreshing when people are are animated and, um, you know, are passionate about something that they're talking about, and you know, whether or not you 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 agree with him, like I do think that some people me not included would have thought that Jimbo Fisher was tone deaf tone deaf because you you're talking to a bunch of people that know the score and you're acting like we don't and like that's something that coaches do all the time in the sport whether it be about recruiting whether it be about um, you know how they run their programs they play dumb about the importance of stars all the time it's like dude we're we're more seasoned as fans of the sport than I think they give us credit for sometimes yeah, I mean, I mean, it's everyone recruits, fans, media, everyone's more educated. Yeah, uh, yeah. Than, than twenty years ago. Um, let's bounce around some notes. Um, Jim Harbaugh staying at Michigan. Now it depends on who you believe. Maybe there was not an offer from Minnesota Vikings. He has pledged his allegiance to Ward Manuel, the AD at Michigan, says this is not going to be an everyday occurrence. I'm glad he's staying. I think he's fun for college football. I think the fact that they beat Ohio State this year was obviously good for the Big Ten. Um, Maybe one thing we wanted to talk about, too, is like a lot of people who don't really follow the minutia of recruiting were making a big deal that he was going to interview for this job on National Signing Day. But it really didn't matter. They they were and not. People, people call me a Michigan homer. I think that that anybody criticizing him for interviewing on Wednesday is kind of blowing nothing out of proportion. So you think it was. I think it was completely appropriate for him to go. Well, like he on wasn't. They literally they weren't. They weren't doing on anything. anything. The only guy that they're in the hunt for is Josh Connerly, Connerly, five-star uh, offensive lineman from Washington, who said he's this thing's going into March. So there's just yeah. I don't know why everybody was so offended by it. Yeah, you know, like if he's going to take a job, I'd rather a coach interview on National Signing Day in February than bail on his team ten days after he signs the class in December. Yeah. So, um, but again, are, are you glad Jim Harbaugh's back? I am. Yeah. I think that anytime uh, a coach is, you know, high on what he's built and, you know, kind of getting back to who he is and, you know, talking shit a little bit and, you know, feeling a little pep in his step. And, you know, it seems to me that he could be on the verge of, of potentially making this rivalry more interesting. And, you know, to me personally, Mitch, and I don't want to sound like an Ohio State homer, you know, I get accused of it a lot. Yes. But here's the thing. Based on the way that Michigan is built and the way that Ohio State is built, it doesn't take Albert Einstein to look at the classes and the rosters and say this is going to be a hard thing to sustain long term. Like if you're a Michigan fan, if you think that what happened this past year is an indication of what's going to happen every year, I think that you should take a few steps back because there's still a major gap between the two teams. Ohio State probably is now even more focused on beating Michigan than they've ever been before. And like it would have been smart if if I were if I were Harbaugh even to to go out on top, to leave Michigan as the guy who got them over the Ohio state hump and got them to the playoff and, you know, go back, celebrate it as a figure that did something that most people couldn't do. Probably that said, now that he's returning, if he goes back to Ohio stadium next year and loses 66 to 14 again, 
you know, we're going to be two or three years removed away from all the same things that we were talking about with him before, which is he's not good enough. This is a failure of whatever, you know, they're, he's not past that permanently. Right. He would have been had he left. Right. But here's the thing I want to say about Jim Harbaugh more than anything. Michigan messed with his money. And he came back after somebody messed with them with his money, took half of his money away. And I know that he's a very wealthy man already and isn't dependent on a paycheck and, you know, doesn't have to work another day in his life and he can still do whatever he wants. But he, the, the program messed with his money. And let me ask you this. If the athletics said, you know what, Mitch? We want you to be the best editor at the company next year. We don't think that you're editing enough stories. I'm going to take half your salary and you but you can stay. But go ahead and do what we want you to do. And then you achieve that goal. If the athletic gives you the money back at the end of that, are you going back to the athletic? Or are you finding another job? So like to me, like I, I feel like with you. So I'm going to stay. Yeah, I don't know if somebody messed with my money. That would be a reason for me to leave, you know, so I do think that, like, as college football fans and reporters, we are, there are times where we don't view these people as people. And it's like, I respect the hell out of Jim Harbaugh for, for sticking with it after they messed with his money. And now he better get more money back because of that whole fiasco. And if he would have taken an NFL job after doing what nobody thought he could do, flipping Michigan off on the way out for doing what they did to him, I would have understood that. So, like, the fact that he's coming back, I think is just a night. I mean, like I can't stand Jim Harbaugh's inability to communicate with reporters. Um, and still weird. You know, doesn't really, he's just a weird guy, but I respect the hell out of some of the personal things that he does, uh, with his money and his commitment to the university. And, and now once again, um, doing that after he didn't have to, um, I think it's really cool. So I think it's going to be good for the rivalry. I think that Ohio state fans are probably happy. He's staying because you don't want, to play video games with somebody and then they beat you for the first time. They drop the controller and never play again. You want to keep playing. That'll be fun. And I think that it'll be interesting to see if Michigan can build off this season. You know, if they're this, if they don't want this to be one off, you know, this is a very big building block Can Michigan be a much better team than they've been. And that's, that's all really exciting stuff. And I'm very curious to see how it pans out. Here's the thing. And then we'll move on. I think the, the the problem, the thing that's ailed Ohio State in recent years is defense, and I think they've gone taking the right steps to fix that. With Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator, made some staff changes there. So I, I think the days of, I mean, you know the program better than I do, but the days of pushing around Ohio State, the line of scrimmage, might be over with this defensive line class, the last two defensive line classes that Ohio State has signed. So it goes back to the, the whole thing where, where Michigan is, is signing fine classes. But when you stack up the top 100 guys that keep going to Ohio State and keep going to Michigan, the gap is actually getting bigger in, in talent. So that, that's my fear for Michigan. I'm glad Harbaugh's back. But I think if Ohio State figures out its defense, that we're going to see some more lopsided scores. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be very, very interesting to see how how both of these teams respond to what happened this year because it was so shocking. But at the end of the day, like Michigan should be using this as a major boost to to their recruiting results in the next year and they you know you're, you're going to want to hope to see them as competitive as they were this year moving forward uh into the into the near future well, and, and usually you get the recruiting bump the next year like they they're yeah you, you don't expect them but to i mean like bump. the reason why michigan it always seemed, it always seemed like michigan was kind of stuck in neutral because the ceiling was never beating ohio state yeah so it's like now that they finally did the thing that nobody thought they can do it should become a more attractive place for people to want to coach or I mean to commit to. Yeah. Um, this one was kind of got lost in the shuffle just because signing day was coming on. But Notre Dame hires Delon McCullough as its running backs coach from Indiana. And he went to Indiana last year. At the time, his son, Desan, was a top 50 safety. He's now top 75 safety who would be, had been committed to Ohio State. He decommitted Ohio State to go to Indiana. And he's already enrolled in Indiana. So he's an early enrollee in Indiana. They've got a, he's got another son, I guess it's pronounced Day, D-A-E-H. Mm-hmm. He's a four-star DB in the class of 223. He's committed to Indiana. He actually came out and reaffirmed his commitment to Indiana to play with his brother. So when I first saw that news, I figured both guys would be going to Notre Dame. He's a very well-respected coach and he's been in the NFL, good recruiter, so great hire by Notre Dame. Uh, but that's something to watch over the next um, year to see if those two guys – um, if they follow their dad. 
You know what they say, dude. What do they say? Never, f- never go to a program to play for a coach. Apparently, you can't do that to go play for your dad. Yeah, that is so funny to me. What, like it's like how conversations. Hey, guy, hey, Desan, how's how's you know you've been in class for what, two weeks? How's it going in Indiana? Oh, Dad, I love it. It's great. I'm so glad we're here. Oh, by the way, I'm moving to South Bend. Yeah. Also, too, like if you're a coach and you're having conversations with your kid in your house, wouldn't you just be like, you know what, son, you're one of the best players in the entire country. Um, You have an offer from an Ohio state. You're committed there. I would just go there because I can't promise you that I'm going to be at Indiana for much longer. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it's, it was just as a very weird, you know, I don't know what the family dynamic is. So, you know, I don't want to talk out of turn, but it does seem like a very odd decision where, you know, his son now, I'm not disparaging Indiana in any way, but there just isn't the same number of resources and and ability to develop into the NFL that that Ohio State offers. And it's like now that kid is in a worse position to refine his uh, to refine his skill set for the league because he was following his father there and his father's not there anymore. Just it's just kind of seems odd. Joe Burrow did not go play for his dad at Ohio University. Yeah, I mean, I would go I would probably I feel like if I were a five star prospect, I would want to play for my dad. But if my dad was an assistant coach at Indiana and I got an Ohio State offer, he might be like, dude, just go do what's best for you. How's the five star baby? She's she's doing great, man. OK, I, uh, I saw a little Instagram post of her a little video. She still is still looking like a five star baby. Very cute. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right. A couple more notes. Um, Can I say one thing? Because I don't think that you said this earlier on okay. the podcast. Did you talk about um, the we did talk about the Brian Kelly uh, dancing with the recruits thing, right? Um, you mentioned it. I Did it happen in the past weeks since our last pod? Sometimes I forget. It did. Where. It happened okay. on January 28th. Okay. I was in Santa Barbara. When it OK. Happened. And I've watched the video. It has nine point three million views now. I think that I'm 1 million of those views because I can't stop watching Brian Kelly try to pretend like he is cool or that he's from the South. But that kid, um, Danny Lewis. Signed with Alabama. Signed with Alabama today. And I think that that is hilarious. Like the guy got got on stage and like made made an ass out of himself. 10 million people are laughing at it. And like if you watch, you've seen the video. Yeah, of course. It's the most cringeworthy video I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. Yeah, like I can barely watch it. And it's it, like yeah. for him to not only lose him to uh, someone else, but to lose him to Alabama on top of it, that just kind of salt in the wound there a little bit. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll have to see if that becomes a regular occurrence. And that kind of goes into the story you wrote. Um, actually, you, What, a regular occurrence of uh, dancing, with dancing like a jackass yeah. and only losing him to Bama? Yeah. It was embedded in your story that you and Antonio wrote. Dude, the man is, the man is making $10 million a year, and he's pretending like he's hip in, in photo shoot videos. Yeah. But yes, you could, you could promote my story from, from early yeah. on in the week. Yeah, you and Antonio, um, our USC writer, uh, did a story on... Very talented writer. Yes, always good recruiting ideas as, as you... Me, not Antonio. Both, both. Yeah. Um, on the importance, probably the overblown, if that's saying it the right way, importance of photo shoots and how basically no one likes them, except the players. The schools don't like them. They're a pain. They're expensive and you got to do them for everyone. Um, but kids love them and they do them. And the more creative, the better. And it's just sort of, I think the quote was, it's a necessary evil in the world of recruiting. Yeah, I do think that people don't understand how much teenagers love going to campuses and taking pictures in the uniforms that they're going to be playing in. And the kid, Stefan Johnson, who led the story with the horse, yeah. committed to Oklahoma State on Wednesday. He went to Oklahoma State a few weeks ago. They brought a horse onto the field Uh <laughs> They took pictures with him wearing a cowboy hat on a horse. And I'm not saying this is the reason why he went to Oklahoma State. But when it comes to relationship building, if a, if a kid could get those Instagram likes and those Twitter retweets with those with those pictures, it, it makes for a more fulfilling time for them. And I think it is a very interesting thing. And I, and I encourage people to go read that story. I worked pretty hard on it with Antonio and, you know, got some really good stuff about, like, you know, how coaches view these photo shoots and um you know, how kids view them and, and how much money's at stake. And it's like you got programs bringing uh, free range chickens onto a field. You got programs bringing Rolls Royce Phantoms onto the field and they're taking these pictures. And 
It's just like all for internet clout. And it's just the amount of money that goes into it. And then also not to mention the Time. amount of hours, right. these creatives that are making $30,000 a year in these programs to edit these videos and photos are, are subject to it's just it's a lot that goes into the to, to the the pictures that you guys all like on twitter every day yeah um a couple more things then i'm losing steam here all right um yeah yeah me too um so vanderbilt up to 30 and 31 in the recruiting rankings all 14 team team all 14 sec teams in the top 31 someone posted this would is that's higher than the big 12 champ the Pac-12 champ and the ACC champ. That class would be third in the Pac-12, fourth in the ACC, fifth in the Big 12. It just tells you how well. It's embarrassing. How, that's a that's an interesting stat, but it's truly and utterly embarrassing. That, that, that class would be third in the Pac-12, fourth in the ACC. That's yeah. It's just. Um, and then the following schools will end up with the best class in school history in the modern era: North Carolina, number ten; Kentucky, number thirteen; Missouri, number fourteen; Indiana, number twenty-one; and your Wildcats of Arizona, number 24. So they're safely inside the... The The highest rated class in program history. Isn't it? Arizona, 24. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Dude, I give you credit for somebody who has COVID doing your research today. Those are some really interesting stats. Yeah. And also, like, I feel like I would buy stock in all those programs probably right now. I don't know about Indiana because I think the McCullough twins or brothers, excuse me, are not going to be on the team for much longer. But I... uh, Mizzou is in North Carolina... Uh, Arizona have been in Kentucky are all teams that I've been super complimentary of the last year. So I'm happy to see that they make me look smart, especially Arizona, because there's room for upward mobility in the Pac-12 because just I got to call Jed Fish. I want to I I've talked to him a few times. I want I, I sure you you a first name basis like hey, Jed. It's well, all right. I will say that like one of the most brutal stories I've ever written in terms of like completely torching somebody in my entire career was Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. Um, Did you hear from anyone in Arizona when you wrote that? Uh, an assistant coach at Arizona got fired a few hours after the story went up. And wow, um, so your fault. And I don't know if it was my fault, but it happened. And Kevin Sumlin followed me on Twitter like four days later and never said anything. So I, I don't. I was waiting for it, and it never happened. And I, especially because I went there and I know a lot of people uh, there. But I do think that fair is fair and now i should probably write something positive because the next regime is actually trying yeah we've done bruce feldman's done some things on uh we've written you've you've yeah. written you've, yeah bruce knows jed pretty yeah, well i think you've uh we we've you know they, they have not gone unnoticed but uh yeah i mean really good class and like i mentioned too if you if you recruit that type of talent like the problem with missouri and kentucky is they're still from an overall roster standpoint they're still in the bottom quarter of the sec Arizona does that two or three years. Can't pick your family and you can't pick your conference. Yeah. uh, Arizona could be in the top, top half in the next few years. So, all right. um, Ready for the trivia question? Yeah. I just want to say that the entire PAC 12 is going down now. Yeah. Like USC owns the PAC 12. Yeah. We, we need Dan Lanning to do, to to be a good recruiter. USC owns the PAC. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do we just need a, do we just need USC to be a playoff team? Like playoff caliber team. Who every do year. you think will win a national championship first, USC or LSU? USC. Antonio Morales is very much against that point of view. Really? We should do like when we post this on Twitter tomorrow when when it runs, we should do a poll. Well, did you see? Um, there was a lot of praise for USC. I think like Joel Klatt said, "Hey, they're going to make a playoff team next year." Then Bruce Feldman wrote a story basically saying, "Hey, let's pump the brakes on this. It's still a very flawed roster. What are they like? Five losses? Yeah, by their 10 defense points is really bad, yeah, just, isn't it?" I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't see LSU winning a national championship the next few years. It's just because they, you know it's very difficult to win a national championship. LSU or USC? LSU. Oh yeah, USC is also flawed. Yeah, but I think USC can build quicker than LSU. Based well, on the problem with with LSU is that they play national championship contenders. Four right, times that's my a year. point. I'm not saying USC not, plays in a conference that sucks. That's, so, that's 100 yeah. percent my point. That's why I'm not. I don't think USC is has a better roster right now by any stretch. The LSU has a better roster, but if you get who's going to win one yeah. first, I don't think either one are going to win one in the next few years. So, um, okay. Trivia time. Um, oh, actually one of these is no longer the case. Do you see Maryland signed a kid today? They, 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 had a, a, do they continue their tradition of, well, they, none of the kids have left yet. They just signed today. So, um, the question was how many P five programs have not signed a quarterback. This question is not very good. This is not my best effort. I'm going to tell you right now. 
How many P- P5 programs have not signed a quarterback from high school or junior college in two of the last four cycles? Maryland was one of them, but they signed. They had a kid reclassified today. So basically, the theory is schools sign try to sign one quarterback a year. Some schools, so like out of the sixty-five P five programs, how many have gone? Holy crap! How long did it take you to look that up, dude? Um, well, it, the research came because remember, was I slacking with you about it? I was talking to uh, Max Olson about it um, because Vanderbilt signed three quarterbacks this year, and I was like, "That's you're talking to me about." That's it. very weird. How many P five schools have gone two of the last four years without signing a quarterback? Yeah, so I did a chart of every P five quarterback in the last four years. Um. 17. Three. I knew I was going to be too high. Right. It's because, I mean, because teams try to sign at least one every year. Yeah. That was Pitt, a really shitty guess. I know. The Pitt, question was, was, was pretty good and I, I ruined it. Pitt, Utah, and Florida State. Um, so to go back to the point about uh, signing three quarterbacks in one class, TCU signed three in 2021, but moved one guy to tight end right away. Uh, Ole Miss and Arizona State both signed three quarterbacks in 2019. Vanderbilt signed three this year. It just doesn't, especially with the portal now, it doesn't happen. God, 17. What a horseshit. You've had some really bad. Some, yeah, yeah, that was a really bad. It's guess. light. Though. I'm like, I'm like upset about that one. Okay. We can, you, you know what? We could re-record it and you could get it right. And everyone figures so no, smart. How about I just be like four? Because <laughs> like now that I think about it, I just, I didn't yeah. think about that clearly. Yeah. Everybody signs a quarterback every year. What am I thinking? Right. It's okay. Yeah. It's late. Okay. Well, Mitch. I hope you feel better, buddy. Thanks so much for powering through it. National Signing Day brings out the Warriors in us, you know? Yeah. Got to play hurt sometimes. To everybody listening, uh, thanks so much for your continued support of the show. It's growing rapidly. Um, I think we're going to have some pretty good news about the expansion of the show here in the next few months. Um, Really means a lot to us that you guys have have stuck through it and kind of were the beginning listeners of of the show um, just a few months before Signing Day, and now we have a full cycle. And I think that the show is coming up at a really good time because I think the 2023 cycle is going to be one of the most interesting cycles in recent recruiting memory. Um, So again, from the bottom of our hearts, thanks so much. Uh, That was Mitch Light. I'm Ari Wasserman. Uh, That was Stars Matter.